From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Never would have dreamt in a million years that I would be running for Congress and be a Congresswoman. I mean, wow. That's right, now I don't say running for Congress. I won! This is awesome! (laughs) That was former Arizona State Senator Debbie Lesko, who is now Congresswoman-elect Debbie Lesko. She's a Republican from Arizona. She won on Tuesday evening a special election to fill the seat vacated by former Congressman Trent Franks, also a Republican in Arizona. She won by a relatively small margin for the district she represents. President Donald Trump won the district by 21 points in the 2016 election, and Congressman Franks usually won it uh, unopposed. So the five-point margin, which is what about what it's at right now, is a sort of a, a very interesting note for us political reporters. Joining me on Political Theater today is Nathan Gonzalez, the editor of Inside Elections and Roll Call's political analyst, and Bridget Bowman, our senior political reporter. Bridget, Nathan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I would have never dreamt in a million years. She said a million years that we would be talking about this much, this much of a Trump district being this close. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we saw that that there was, I mean, again, every election seems to be something that we have to pay attention to, uh, attention to now. I mean, in Pennsylvania, Connor Lamb uh, won in a district that the president had won by 20 points in Pennsylvania. Um, so we, everybody was paying attention to this race. Um, the, you know, there, there was a lot of outside spending particularly on the Republican side. Bridget, what do the results sort of portend? What, what are you hearing from your sources about what it all means? Yeah. So late last night, I got an email from Dan Eberhardt, who's a big Republican donor who's from Arizona. And he said, you know, maybe this shows the Republican brand is still can still win some seats, but like we should be scared, basically, was his message. Republicans, especially in Arizona, and there's a competitive Senate race there as well, should be very nervous. And there is very little room for error when it comes to even some of these more Republican districts like the 8th District uh, where the election was. Now, Nathan, a lot of concern to Republicans is how they're going to run, in, particularly in suburbs, close-in suburbs, uh, that, that there, there's a, a bit of concern that Democrats have a real you know, foothold there, particularly districts that Hillary Clinton won or did very well in in the 2016 election. Arizona's 8th district uh, is, is parts of Phoenix's close-in suburbs like Glendale. Um, what made this different? Because it is a very suburban district. There are some rural parts of it, some small rural parts of it. But this is a suburban district. Why uh, were Republicans able, do you think, to, to sort of gut this one out? Why, why is it sort of the anomaly in the suburban model that Democrats are, are counting on? Well, I think uh, this district was a little bit older and whiter <laughs> than uh, than some of these other competitive districts that we're looking at. Also, the vote by mail, I think, helped Republicans. It gave them a longer sort of runway to get the vote out rather than focusing on focusing on a single day. And so that I think that played to a Republicans' advantage. But in general, you know, there have been – in the previous special elections, there was always an excuse. I mean, mm-hmm. Republicans, well – we nominated someone who allegedly dated teenagers, or we nominated someone who had a weird mustache. Or, but this one, I mean, Debbie Lesko had a little bit of a campaign finance blurp, a little hiccup. Uh, but besides that, I like I mean, that she word blurp. Just, <laughs> That's I think one. it just made it. I feel like George, term. <laughs> feel like President George W. Bush now. But um, uh, she was just kind of a normal Republican, and mm-hmm. this ended up being 
uh, you know, a, a close race. And I think the common denominator through all of those excuses is President Donald J. Trump, that he is the he remains the the biggest unifying uh, factor for Democrats. The, he's driving the enthusiasm on the Democratic side. And that's going to continue till November. But if Republicans don't figure out a way to get their turnout and their base in, uh, excited, then they're going to get crushed. And so, to, go ahead, sorry, Bridget. to add no. to that, too, uh, one Democratic consultant who was sort of involved in the race that I was talking to last night pointed out that in the early ballot returns, Democrats only made up about 28 percent of early ballots. But Harold Tipperneni, the Democrat, got 47 percent of the vote. So there was a sign- significant amount of either independents or Republicans who voted for her. And that's something that people on both parties were watching going into this election and why would some of these Republicans cross over to vote for her? Democrats would say that her status as a political outsider and particularly her emphasis on health care and protecting Medicare and Social Security helped her really appeal to some of these voters. Let's talk about Tipperini as a candidate because she, uh, as, as you stated, Bridget, she was an outsider. She's never run for office before. She's a doctor. Basically, I mean, she didn't run away from some of the more liberal positions in the Democratic Party. When I look around this room... Um It looks so different than when we started. We had gatherings of like, I don't know, five people. (laughs) And they were mostly like people on the campaign team or friends. And now I see hundreds of faces and it is just, it's spectacular. We have made such an impact in this district. We have made an impact in this state. And when I say we, I mean we. We have done this together. Uh, what was her ground game like? I mean, what, what did you hear about what she was as a candidate and how the Democrats did in terms of their turnout? Or was she just sort of on her own? She seemed to be on her own at the beginning. Uh, I talked to her last week and she said no one recruited her. She just decided to run because it's her home. And her daughter basically told her after the 2016 election, like, if not you, then who? When they were talking about the importance of having women with science backgrounds run for office. Um, But the state party particularly kind of came in, especially around the primary, set up a field office in the West Valley, which they hadn't done they couldn't remember the last time they, they had a field office out there. The Republican Party has had an office out there for a few years. Uh, so Democrats were seeing this as a test of kind of that ground game investments in every from the state party investments in every single county, especially going into 2018 and testing to see if they could turn people out. And they seem to think that they did a pretty good job in reaching out to some of these people. Um, and she was touted as a good candidate. I don't it didn't seem like she got as much attention as like Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania. But uh, her status, like I said, as a political outsider certainly helped. She did have kind of a, a blurb, I guess. As someone We're going say. with it. Go with <laughs> We're it. Just going with it. Uh, <laughs> where it kind of in her first ad, it showed her in scrubs because she's a former emergency physician. And it turned out some local reporting that she hadn't actually been a physician for 10 years and was actually a cancer research advocate. And but she said like that wasn't disingenuous on her part. She was just trying to tout her experience and it doesn't, you know, disqualify her experience in healthcare. And so folks, especially in Arizona, think that healthcare is going to be a big issue for them, especially in 2018. And this was sort of a initial indicator of that. So Nathan, if you're a Republican, you're probably feeling pretty good. Like a win is a win. I mean, regardless of whether it's one vote or 9,000 votes, which is about the margin that Debbie Lesko is winning by at this point. But 
in a place like Phoenix, in a place like Glendale and in the suburb, and full disclosure, my mother lives in this congressional district. She was kind of amazed that the Democrats, you know, had had a legitimate shot, or at least they made it a race. Uh, they they made Republicans sweat uh, in, there. Can you really afford to spend as much money and put as much attention into a place like this? They, the Republicans spent a little over a million dollars on this race. Can you spend money there when you really need to be shoring up, you know, seats in the Philadelphia suburbs and, and places like that? Right. Compared to uh, to Bernini, who I believe spent a few hundred thousand and didn't have outside support that uh, that Lesko had. I mean, the, sh- the short answer is that. Uh, Republican Party can't afford to, to make this kind of investment in this type of district. So that's why the operatives and the strategists that are most focused on the House are trying to get members and incumbents and candidates themselves to raise, get their fundraising totals up so that they don't need as much help because there isn't going to be that outside, enough outside help to go around. And if they're, if Republicans are spending in districts like this in the fall, then we're talking about you know a catastrophic night for the for the Republican Party. Although really good night for local television and and radio stations. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in the wrong line of work. I'm already, I, I guess I've known that for years, but I, I, I digress. So so Bridget, um, both candidates, uh, Harold Tibernini, the Democrat, and Debbie Lesko, the Congresswoman elect, they have stated that they're going to run in November. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is just to fill out the term of Congressman Franks until till January. As, as you check in on this race, what are you going to be looking for as you see kind of Tipperini Lesko 2? I think that, like Nathan mentioned, the candidate fundraising will be interesting to watch because donors and folks are going to be focused on so many other races. Are are these candidates going to be able to raise enough money on their own? Like Tipperini was able to raise several hundred thousand dollars and she saw fundraising spikes after the Pennsylvania 18 special election that people were looking at this race as potentially another place where Democrats could win. Um, I don't know if you're going to see that same attention on a district like this moving forward. That will definitely be interesting to watch. I think one of the things that, as I was talking to folks in the lead up about what they were watching for last night's election, uh, some people noted that one race to watch might be the district right next door, Arizona's 6th district, which was represented by Republican Congressman David Schweikert. And it was a race that wasn't really on my radar. The DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which is the political arm for House Democrats, added it to their target list, but seemed like a reach for them. But it's a easier district than the 8th district. So if Tipper Nighty could come that close in the 8th, what could a Democrat do against David Schweikert? That's something that I'm going to probably be watching a little bit more than I would have otherwise. And that's one of my big questions coming out of this is how, I mean, these are all open seats or vacancies with, without incumbents. So how... How transferable are these results in the clear trend mm-hmm. toward Democratic candidates to challenging incumbents? I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb that I think the Congressman Schweikert probably has a better relation to his congressional district than what Lesko had to a district she'd never run in, at least mm-hmm. in the full district. And so how much does that factor in and does that take the edge or how many points does it take off the Democratic uh, overperformance that we've seen across the board? And we also have – other races on the on the ballot in in Arizona this time. So we've we've got a governor's race. The governor Doug Ducey, a Republican, is running for re-election. We have the an open Senate seat, which is going to suck a lot of money and attention. Kirsten Cinema is the Democrat who is more the most likely candidate to represent her party. And then we've got Martha McSally and Kelly Ward and Joe Arpaio. There's that name again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all vying for the Republican nomination. So this it, it doesn't seem like Arizona Eight is going to have the the slate all to itself uh, in 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 come this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And it was interesting that. 
in talking to some of the campaigns, they were all still watching this race to see, like, what do independents do? What do Republicans do? And Martha McSally was out campaigning with Debbie Lesko, saying everyone's going to be watching this race. She has to crush it. It doesn't seem like she exactly did that. And Kelly Ward was tweeting support of her. They were at, like, an event together the night before the election. Um, So everyone was kind of looking at this as an indicator, too, for what can it tell us for a statewide Senate race coming up, which is probably going to be one of the most competitive ones this cycle. And then you were tuning into the race, you know, like for, for a long time, and you, you rated it as, as a, 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 it was likely a Republican, right? Two as, months or, ago, yeah. we moved it from solid to likely, and we mm-hmm. took some heat for it because like, well, this is different than Pennsylvania 18, which had a, a blue collar Democratic labor underpinning. And I'm like, well, if you just look at all the specials, this is going to get closer and look what happened. The thing that I'm just wondering again, like if you're, if you are a political operative, What's your your strategy meeting like this morning? If you're if you're like with the you know the Western liaison, what are you looking for in terms of bucking up your own candidates at this point? I, mean, I think Democrats are trying to get as many viable candidates into as many districts as possible, just in case something happens. I mean, these aren't going to be top tier people, but just people who are uh, running viable campaign, min, almost minimally viable campaigns to take advantage of an opportunity. And on the Republican side, uh, coming back to those those fundraising dollars by the candidate, it's critical. Not only do they get, they pay a lower cost for their television ads, but they're better equipped to do positive ads. And I think, you know, there might be some fatigue with negative ads. And so the ability for a an incumbent or a candidate to do their own positives is going to be critical. And if they don't have that in the outside groups, it's just, it's more expensive and it's less effective. So Bridget, we've got a few more special elections to go in this cycle. Um, we've got one in Ohio. We've got one in Texas. We've got one in Pennsylvania. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at? Is this just going to be the way it is for a while, that we're just <laughs> going to be cycling through both special elections and covering the midterms at the same time? Yeah, it seems like it. And it seems like one thing that all these special elections have shown, which Republicans know this, is it's going to be a tough cycle for them. And Republicans knew that before last night. They know it now. And like Nathan said, they're just trying to figure out how to counteract that. And a lot of that is stressing fundraising. Uh, So we're going to have to see if that continues, if these special elections continue to show that it's going to be a tough year for Republicans trying to hold on to the House. I think it'll be interesting as these next specials come up, uh, how much are they worth? I mean, is Mm -hmm. it worth the Republican Party spending money knowing that these members really aren't going to be actually spending time on very much time on the Hill, but yet you're giving these will be new incumbents, maybe even only for a couple months or a few weeks. But does that give them an, an advantage on fundraising and a leg up for a November election? But I, I think it'd be interesting to see if Republicans spend big on these next ones. Well, thank you so much, Bridget and Nathan, for walking us through this. Uh, we we uh, have a lot <laughs> on our plate, and uh, we and we we only have to cover it. We don't have to be actually at all these rallies and raising this money. I mean, you can think <laughs> about the candidates; they must be exhausted at this point. <laughs> I don't so, feel bad. For, they chose. They chose. <laughs> they chose. They chose this life. This is the life we chose. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, including Nathan's and Bridget's stories on this race and other races that are coming up, you can tune to RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thanks for listening.